Welcome to Elevate. I'm so happy you're here with me today, and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. As an evidence-based coach, mentor, and entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with learning and personal development as it's transformed my entire life, as well as those I get to work with. And to be quite frank, it's literally the entire reason this podcast exists, to feel your growth, gain perspective, and acquire knowledge. So buckle up, friends. You're in for a treat. And as always, thank you for supporting me and the show so we can continue to elevate our own lives as well as those you share this with. Now, let's get into it. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of Elevate, where we expand your mind. And I'm so excited to have RD um, and Coach Addison Barnhart here today to share her story. It's someone who I have watched over the last few years who was in the same industry as me as far as bodybuilding, was a coach in that, and then decided to go on her own path. So um, her story has given me a lot of empowerment just to watch It encouraged me to step into more of an intuitive eating lifestyle. So Addison, thank you for being here today. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got into this in the first place. Yeah. Hey guys, I am Addison, as Kate said. So yeah, I, I used to bodybuild, you know, and it was definitely something that I loved at one point in my life. So I started bodybuilding when I feel like I could probably go on forever about this, but I started bodybuilding when I went to college. I think it was my sophomore year of college is when I started. Honestly, I can't totally remember because I feel like that point in my life has just, I've just blacked out (laughs) on all ends. It's like, what even happened there? Um, But yeah, I had my whole life, I was very, before college, I was very into fitness. I was a gymnast growing up, um, always into sports, you know, kind of did the normal, the normal in quotes diets of, you know, just eating less. I, I feel like I always had some type of, you know, disordered relationship with food. Probably if I went to the doctor for it, they would have diagnosed me with some kind of eating disorder, but you know, a lot of those things go undiagnosed. Um, So going into college, it just kind of got worse. I stopped, you know, gymnastics um, my senior year of high school because I actually broke my back. And so I had to stop. And then after that, that's when I got into weightlifting. Then I went to college, got more into the gym. My friend there knew of the bodybuilding coach I ended up, you know, working with and introduced me to him. And then I got, you know, sucked into it. Like, I feel like we all do just kind of one thing after another, after another. And I competed for, I think at my first show to the time I went pro was under a year. So I only competed under a year. I went pro in under a year. I was really really fucking good at bodybuilding, you know, but I got to a point where I just couldn't handle it anymore. And I feel like my whole world kind of revolved around bodybuilding and I opened my eyes and I was like, okay, this is not what I want out of my life. And so I left, I quit, 
literally it was probably the biggest life change I've ever gone through because I feel like bodybuilding was like my whole identity and then all of a sudden I was like okay I'm no longer coaching because even at that point I coached bodybuilding I coached you know macro coaching diet coaching all of those things and I ended up just you know leaving all of that I quit my job coaching I quit bodybuilding I was still in school for dietetics and registered dietitian, which I got into because of bodybuilding. And yeah, my whole life changed at that point. I had no idea who I was because I tied so much of my identity to being a bodybuilder, having the perfect body, all of these, you know, things that you just should not tie your identity to. And yeah, I definitely fell into a very deep, dark, depressive state after because I was then dealing with, you know, binge eating. And I I would consider, sorry if this offends anyone, I would consider bodybuilding a glorified eating disorder. So definitely after bodybuilding, I was okay for most people, maybe not for everyone for most anyway, whatever. But after bodybuilding, I was definitely dealing with binge eating disorder and trying to figure, figure things out. And, you know, going from restricting to binging to restricting to binging, gaining weight, losing weight, all of those things. So that's when, um, I found intuitive eating. And honestly, I didn't really know that there was a term for intuitive eating until I had already become an intuitive eater. I feel like I just had this goal of, I want to eat normally. I just want to you know, eat like a normal person and live a healthy lifestyle and not worry about food. And I don't know, I just I I was so sick of tracking macros and so sick of spending hours a day in the gym and so sick of being so consumed with my body that I was like, there's something wrong here. Like, this is not right. This is not how people should live their life. And so I just started figuring it out. I wish I would have asked for help. I definitely didn't because I was so afraid nobody nobody understood what I was going through because people didn't really talk about this. They didn't talk about the aftermath of bodybuilding or even I feel like eating disorders, or maybe I just didn't follow anyone who really talked about it as openly as I feel I talk about it now. So I didn't ended up not asking for help because I felt honestly fucking psychotic (laughs) and just went through it myself. Um, so yeah, that's where I am now. And honestly, that's why I do what I do now, because I know how lonely the journey can be. Yeah. So there's a lot in there that I'm excited to, to oh, dive yeah. into. So, <laughs> um, a couple things first, uh, I appreciate you saying that. And I do think, and I talk about this to clients because it's much more common than people will ever talk about. And that's because there's so much guilt and shame carried around the fact that you were in control for so much and it's glorified that you're in control of all these things. Right. It's like the more like you can zero your macros, the more adequate you are. And you start to tie your value to like, how far can I go? Right. And I've been there because I used to do like my last prep, I was doing three hours of cardio a day for periods of time. Right. And it's like, when you are psychologically like, and I think that again, bodybuilding coaches, they do this whole like work harder. Nobody cares. Like everybody needs to suffer like all of these ideas. And yes, it's an extreme sport, but with that, there's something that you said that I will kind of support is that regardless of where you're at, your relationship with food and your body will be challenged. 
right? And it does drive disordered habits Mm -hmm. because in order to be as adherent as you need to be to get to the end goal, which is not sustainable nor healthy, right? It does drive that type of behavior, right? That's kind of the, the devil of it. Um, you know, the devil in the, in that endeavor. Um, but I want to go back to, before you even got into bodybuilding, you mentioned that you probably always had some disordered habits and it, you were a gymnast. And I do see this very common. I, I work with some dancers and gymnasts as well. And there's a lot of emphasis put on your physique and your body composition in those types of sports. And so my question is, do you feel as though, when you went down that role, that road in your life, do you think some of that, whether you were conscious of it or not contributed to some of the disordered relationships that you had? Yes, I definitely don't think gymnastics was the absolute start of it. I don't think, I think it was a catalyst, but I don't think it's where it started necessarily. I had, you know, some I wouldn't necessarily consider them traumatic experiences growing up in my idea of trauma, but in my life, like they were traumatic experiences. And I think that's where a lot of my disordered behaviors really stemmed from. Um, But as for gymnastics, yes, I do think that, you know, getting into a sport that you are required or it is the best when you're hitting a perfect 10 like a sport revolving around perfectionism is going to lead to you know feeling inadequate if you're anything less than perfect and I felt that in gymnastics in practice in competing I always had to be perfect always had to you know look a certain way and even though gymnastics isn't about your physique it's still about your lines and the judges like it when you have beautiful lines and I even remember one of my gymnastics coaches coming up to me which this did not happen a lot or situations like this either I can't remember them or I don't feel like they happened a lot but I do remember my gymnastics coach one of them coming up to me when I was just standing there and smacking my stomach and being like suck in. And I like that has definitely stuck with me. Like, you know, this idea of it's not okay to relax or have a stomach, your stomach pushing out. And like my stomach has always been round and I'm, you know, loud and proud about that. Like I literally don't care, but it's like when I never, you know, felt anything about that until that coach came up to me and just like tapped me on the stomach and was like, suck in, like you need to look better. And I was like, okay, well, whatever, I guess. And now thinking back on it, that was definitely, you know, me thinking, oh, am I just fat or do I need to lose weight or do I need to change my physique or something of that sort? So I definitely think gymnastics in the sport in and of itself was a catalyst for that in the perfectionistic realm again if you're if you're not perfect like you're you're not good enough and but I do think some things had happened you know in interactions in the gymnastics world too where even with teammates and things like feeling like a teammate is better than you because they got a better score they look better they look better in their leotard or whatever it may be. Like, I think that also led to a lot of it. So to answer your question, yes, I definitely think it had something to do with it. Yeah. And I I like to ask that question because a lot of people that get into competing, right. They're usually previous athletes. Yeah. And so like for contrast, 
I was a basketball player. I played division one basketball in college. Never did I ever have a issue with food. Never, ever did I question my body image. Never mm-hmm. did I care about any of that stuff. Right. Yeah. And so it was like, it, I'd never developed any of that, like a body dysmorphia and like, you know, being a little bit neurotic. And when I say neurotic, I mean, highly neurotic with food. <laughs> a little and bit. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're like, I literally, um, didn't eat at my parents' wedding. Like I wouldn't allow myself to do anything that wasn't tracked and weighed. Like I was disciplined every day for years Mm -hmm. to the gram, like the microgram of everything. It wasn't just good enough to be zero. It had to be like 0.0. And again, like I can still even tell when I talk about it, like I remember being supported as like, that was what I was supposed to do. And it made Mm -hmm. me a great athlete, right? When in reality, half a gram, a gram, five grams is not going to make that big of a difference. But in the, when you're in it and like in the thick of it, you can really be compelled and talked into doing things that aren't in alignment with who you actually are, what you actually value. Mm -hmm. And so, um, one of the questions that I have for you, um, first would be the disordered habits that you had prior to competing, what that looked like. Um, -hmm. and then when you got into competing, how that amplified. Yeah. Um, again, I definitely feel like, you know, even before competing, I don't know so much that I had super disordered habits or at least didn't really think of them as weird. I think it was more so the blanket statements of just trying to eat less or eating less or not eating as many calories or, you know, just going for long runs. It was things that I feel are very, you know, common in society that aren't super neurotic, but are still problems for sure. I I also remember, you know, looking at other people's bodies online or pictures. Like I remember having screenshots of pictures online that I wanted to look like, and I never knew how to like achieve that physique or that body. And all I knew was, okay, I need to eat less and I need to work out more. So that's, I think where things started. Um, I'm trying to think if there were really any other, I don't really feel like I would decline food. I don't feel like I wouldn't eat with my parents. I feel like I did those, like I was fine in that aspect. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have fear foods. I wasn't necessarily afraid of food. It was just like, okay, if I eat less, that's good. And if I work out more, that's good. So I feel like the habits I had before competing, yes, they were, you know, not good. They weren't, habits that I feel people should have, but they weren't like obsessive or neurotic. It was more so, you know, just eat less, work out more. That's it. And having, you know, obviously the body side of things was huge. Like looking at other people's bodies or feeling, at least I remember feeling like, okay, my body is the most interesting thing and about me. And I need to achieve this body from, you know, seeing pictures and looking at other people. So but then getting into competing, like you asked, I, I mean, geez, like you said, just weighing everything to the gram. I remember like literally cutting blueberries in half because I needed the exact gram of blueberries. Like just the, like the most insane things. I remember after every meal licking my plate because, you know, no macro left behind. I couldn't do like, if I didn't, 
Oh my God, this is the craziest thing, which I feel like in my intuitive eating journey, this has been the, like the best thing ever. Like if somebody had interrupted my morning routine of, you know, drinking water, having coffee and going to the bathroom, like my entire day would be off. Like I could not have anyone talk to me. Like nobody could interrupt my morning routine or I wouldn't go to the bathroom because if you're not eating enough, you're obviously not going to poop because you have nothing in your body. So, but not pooping when you're that disordered is very uncomfortable because your stomach is like so bloated and distended anyway. Again, you're bloated because you're not eating enough, not because you're eating too much anyway. So not going to the bathroom for a day would be like the worst thing that had ever happened. So I definitely couldn't have anyone interrupt my routine in the, in the morning with working out. I, you know, if I didn't do the exact sets, the exact reps, the exact amount of cardio, the same cardio, getting 10,000 steps in, you know, if I didn't do those things, it was almost like I was paralyzed and I couldn't stop thinking about those things all day long. Like I was so obsessed with anything food related. I remember I never watched anything aside from the food channel. I never followed anyone on Instagram aside from people's who people who had great bodies and people who posted like food, like food accounts. It was, you know, there are, there are problems there. And I never really realized them as problems because again, society just, and there's so much more than that, but society definitely just like praises you for these things that are just so messed up and essentially everything I did when it came to fitness and nutrition was controlling my entire life instead of making my life better. What's going on guys? So I interrupt this incredible episode to remind you of the seminar that is coming October 1st to downtown Dallas, Texas open to the public. I'm about to drop some incredible information on some added speakers uh, dropping this week and the early word special will be done um, at the end of June. So I want to give you this heads up here to go ahead and get those tickets to be able to be here, be present with us. And I promise you, you do not want to miss it. So bring a friend, tell, a, tell your family, and I hope to see you guys there. Yeah. And one thing that, um, I was listening to some podcasts and I can't remember who said it. Um, but it's interesting that beauty standards are not made by men. Like when you think about it, no man was like, Oh yes. Women with thigh gaps. Like that's what it is. Like beauty standards are set by other women mm-hmm. for women. It's like, Oh, I'm this. So then you have to be that. And it's very interesting when you think about it that way, because I'm sure once you kind of move past focusing on the aesthetic, right. You found, And I know that you're with somebody, but like, I don't know how long you had been with them or if they've been with you through that. Mm -hmm. But what I find is like in what I would deem, because I do still have a very skewed image of my body. um, Like I am way more attractive to the opposite sex, like being what I would deem like thick Kate, right. Mm -hmm. Than I ever was when I was like in my favorite aesthetic. Yeah. I just find that very interesting because women tend to glamorize other women right in the mm-hmm. standards that they've set and they feel validated if they hit that whereas men are like that's not even attractive and so I was curious on like your experience with that yeah yeah so Trevor and I have been together for I think it'll be four years in like new years of 
2023. So we started dating like New Year's Eve. Um, but he was with me at my very smallest, my very most like disordered. And I was coming out of competing really when we started dating. So I knew him about a year prior to us actually officially dating, which was when I was competing. And then we started dating about a year after that. Um, and he has seen me, you know, at my smallest, at my absolute heaviest and you know now and he honestly I showed him a video I think it was maybe it was just one of my reels and he said I didn't even notice like your body had changed that much until you showed me these side by side by side like my smallest my biggest and now pictures like beside each other and um like he had no idea that my body changed that much when he had seen me, you know, every single day, at every single size. And he will say like, you know, when you were that small, like you're, you're much more attractive now to me than you were when you were that small. And it's just, it is crazy. Like, obviously I don't think that anyone should, you know, change their body for anyone else or, you know, lose weight for a man or gain weight for a man. But just knowing that, you know, if somebody likes you for the way that you look, or they're only attracted to you for the way that you look, which I don't believe like Trevor was attracted to me for the way I looked when I was small or even now, because I think I'm, he probably, I mean, I know he's attracted to me for the way that I look, but it's not like the main reason because he has seen my body change so much. And he never left me when I gained, you know, 50 pounds coming out of bodybuilding where Um, and like, he didn't even really notice that I had gained that much weight. So, but as I was saying, I definitely think that, you know, if somebody is with you because of the way that you look like they truly do not deserve to be in your life and you can do a lot better. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the big things like to that point really was like, it gave me permission to feel confident in my skin instead of judging myself for gaining weight after competing. Cause I know that so many women, especially competitors are so abrasive to weight gain. Like they tie their entire value of existence to that number and it's debilitating for so many people. And so when I realized that the people that love me don't give a shit, whether I am shredded or at an uncomfortable set point that I need to work through for my own health, like nobody judged me like this summer is the first summer that I did not diet at all. Mm -hmm. And like wearing a bikini in that was super uncomfortable for me. Nobody else noticed, nobody commented, nobody gave a shit. Right. And it's like, when you realize it removes a lot of that power and then it's like, it's okay to be here in in what I would say is at least a more healthy body. But Um, I want to go back to your post-show and I want to go back to the decision for you to step away and where did that come from? What was the realization that you had? And then take us on that journey. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So it actually took me two years to finally be like, fuck this. Like I am done. So I was still you know, after I got my pro card, 
the second I stepped off stage, I said to myself, I will never do this again. I am done. I am absolutely done. But again, like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, I was, you know, competing was my entire identity. And I think that it, or at least I felt it was my entire identity. I think that it was really hard for me to step away because of that. Again, it was my job. It was my education. It was my, you know, my hobby, everything. And so again, I was staying for other people. Like I only had friends who were competitors. Like my coach was my best friend. You know, I like my whole my everything revolved around that sport. And so I, I knew I was just staying for other people. I was staying for, you know, people on social media. What are people going to think if I leave? And it was really a matter of kind of just realizing that and realizing that it's okay to change and it's okay to let things go. And I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday talking about identity. I mean, it wasn't talking about identity, but she talked about identity for like a second. And she said that really nothing should be tied to your identity. You should, you know, your identity really doesn't need to be anything like it you're you're still here you're still you and you don't have to tie your job your hobbies your body anything to your identity and I think I had realized that um when I stopped competing or finally let go after a whole two years of essentially going back and forth in my mind of should I do this like should I not what what do I do how do I get out of this um and I think a big turning point for me was actually being with my boyfriend. He he probably doesn't realize how much he's helped me through this. But, you know, being around people who don't compete and live normal lives and don't like, again, my entire life, like everything, I went to school for nutrition. I had my best friend was my coach, like everything I did, all of the individuals in my life, except for my boyfriend competed and well and of course my family but anyway that's beside the point so I saw the way that him and his family interacted and the things that they did and I didn't understand how they could be so relaxed around you know what they eat and food and not not feel like out of control or crazy around it and I was like is this actually like you know possible like my boyfriend is the like definition of an intuitive eater and he's never dieted before and never done anything before and one time he said to me I love food but I don't love food like you love food and I think that was the point where I really started to realize okay I have a problem like there's something wrong here because I know that I have like, it's okay to love food. I still love food now, but there's a difference between loving food and having an obsession with food. So I really like started digging deep into what he had said and just realized, you know, what are all of the weird things that I do? And is it because of bodybuilding and realizing it was, um, And of course, you know, I had things in my past to work through as well. 
when it came to food, but I had, I knew if I ever wanted to live a normal, healthy life again, like I don't feel as though bodybuilding is something that is healthy or even dieting that a lot of people feel like, you know, you're healthy if you diet or if you bodybuild, it's just not, that's just not what it is. So I knew my goal was I want to live a healthy lifestyle and I want to help other people do the same. And that had always been my goal. And I think the confusion and the reason I kind of got into bodybuilding was because I thought, okay, if I look this way, I will be healthy. And then I will teach other people how to do the same. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of my rambles there. <laughs> no, I re- I resonate a ton with that. And I think that was the hardest thing. So it's funny that we're recording this today on the launch of my own business um, anniversary, which is awesome, right? In one year. But I remember um, my biggest fear for letting go of that was, will I be deemed adequate? as a coach, if I don't have all of the aesthetics, right? Cause my body, I've never had a six pack, even when I was shredded, like I'd have an oblique line, but never did I have like a six pack, right? Wow. Never did I have like my body just store my, my body fat stores around my core. Like it just has, mm-hmm. but I also know now understanding hormones, like I have a lot of other issues as to why that is. Um, but it's, it's such a scary, um, transition walking away from all that. But I think, there, we have a similar concept in the fact that there was a misalignment issue, right? It's Mm -hmm. like what it represents versus what I value and what I want to do to help other people do like the mission that you have. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have anything to do with driving someone's value to aesthetics, um, then it's, it's something that you just can't do. And that's kind of where I was is once I got my functional medicine certification, I could read labs and I could see how detrimental some of this was to people. But then the fact that people were willing to just ignore it and let send people on their way to figure it out in hindsight. Like I couldn't get on board with that. There was more to it. And it's like, once you know, you can't not know. So then it's like, well, what do you do? Right. You either turn a blind eye and that's by choice, or you say, this is wrong. And you do what you believe to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what sent the trajectory of, of myself. But there's something that you said in there too, that I think is really important. And it's the fact that he could say, I love food. And like, my brother is a foodie. He will outwardly say like, I work out so I can eat what I want. Like that's him. And I'm like, not in a disordered way. Like he doesn't always train or he doesn't have a weird relationship with exercise. Like he just is like, I like doing this. I like the way I look and I know I can eat whatever the fuck I want. So like this works for me. And he will like, I'm telling you, I've never seen somebody snack on so many like Sour Patch Kids. Like he's just one of those people. He's a snacker. He always has been. That's what my mom says. Like he's just always been a grazer. Um, But it's interesting, like, I was like that, whereas I never cared about food, never thought twice about it. And it's after bodybuilding, I realized I had a coach once tell me we don't eat fat because you are what you eat. And if you eat fat, you will be fat. And so I did not eat red meat. I would not eat salmon. I would not nut like nut butters that always do with powdered peanut butter and like that Mm -hmm. whole thing. And so when I realized I was still carrying some of those beliefs, I was like, okay, I need to attack this shit head on. And so I literally was like, I'm having red meat or salmon every day, every single day. And I did that for, I don't know, starting towards the, after my contest prep season last year. So towards the end of last year. And I remember my best friend, um, he's the one that was like, dude, I've known you forever. 
and you're starting to lose yourself to be accepted by other people. And it's heartbreaking to see. And I think this is how I know somebody loves you is that there's a component of tough love in there. And he was like, I can't be a part of your life if you go down this path because I can't watch you do this to yourself. Mm. And that really checked me just kind of like your boyfriend being like, I love food, but like, you really love food. Like that's right. You should investigate that. I was like, I'm doing this sacrificing parts of myself. And I don't know that I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I kind of really started exploring, like, how do I break a lot of this? And the only way out is through, like, I always tell people that like the only way you're going to find out is to just like go through the thing and find out what you need to know. Cause if nothing else, you'll have knowledge and experience that you didn't have before and perspective that you can share with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so as you went through like breaking your own beliefs around these things, like I'm curious as to what they might've been. And I know that you mentioned gaining like 50 pounds. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey and your experience through that? And really how did you stay or did you stay on the path through the discomfort? Yeah. So actually my weight gain came from right after my competitions when, so that period of two years, and this is what I see with a lot of my clients now. So that period of two years, that's where all of my weight gain really came from. So during those two years, I was binging, restricting, sleep eating, so obsessed with food, more obsessed with food than I was when I was competing. I mean, the aftermath of competing is a lot different than actually doing a prep. Like it's the hardest part. So I gained, you know, all of that weight during those two years. And then once I committed to figuring out my relationship with food and wanting to live a healthy lifestyle without tracking macros and without dieting and finally just letting go of dieting, that's when, and healing my, you know, binge eating, sleep eating, eating enough food, essentially at that point, weight and this does not happen for everyone. Um, but my weight, because I stopped binging and healed my relationship with food, it did go down a bit. So I was definitely overshooting my weight by doing that. And so at that point, I, you know, was learning how to intuitively eat. So I always say you can't, you can't wake up tomorrow and be an intuitive eater. You really have to learn how to intuitively eat and it takes time. And even at the times where you feel like you're completely healed or you're completely intuitive, it's still going to get better. And I think that's the best part. Whereas, you know, when you're dieting, it just always gets harder and harder and continues to be more of a challenge and more of a challenge. But with intuitive eating and the reason that I am so passionate about it is because I do feel it gets easier and easier because you're truly working with your body instead of against it. And you're truly trusting your body. And I don't even know where I was going with that, but yeah. So, oh, within the last, like even six months, and I was talking about this to a client I had the other day, even within the last six months, I feel like my experience with intuitive eating has just continued to get better and better and better. Even when I thought it couldn't get better, it has continued to get better. So I think, you know, the first 
year or so of learning how to intuitively eat or learning how to trust your body for me anyway was really challenging. But I think the things that kept me going, I never looked back again in those two years. Yeah, I was trying to intuitively eat, but also trying to track macros and still trying to have this perfect physique and et cetera, et cetera. Like when people say they're intuitively eating and then they do one intuitive day a week and then they're tracking, that doesn't make sense. You know, you can't, you can't pick and choose what days you're intuitively eating because you don't know how to intuitively eat. You can't wake up tomorrow and intuitively eat. Anyway, that's a topic for another time. But I think that the things that kept me going were just all of the small wins and the small moments and, you know, being able, like the first thing I did, I think was like, getting rid of the food scale and just the the amount of anxiety that I had by literally eating my same meals just without weighing them. Like then seeing nothing happening, me not, you know, gaining 600 pounds overnight, like realizing, okay, I can do this. So just those really baby steps. And that's what I do with my clients. Like we do things in very small steps because I know that if I would have just let everything go and gone quote unquote all in, I would have gained a bunch of weight, even more weight than I was. And I was already, you know, gaining so much weight. And then I would have been like, this isn't working for me. We are going back to tracking macros. And I would have never got out of that cycle. And I think that's why a lot of people always go back to bodybuilding or always go back to dieting because they gain weight. And then they're like, oh, I need to go back on my diet or I need to go back to competing. And then they do it. And the cycle just repeats, but you really have to learn once you learn how to eat without doing all of that stuff, it again, just keeps getting easier. But those little wins along the way really kept me going and seeing that, you know, I was gaining so much life by letting go of the control I had over food. Yeah. And there's a lot in there, uh, that I think is really important. And that's exactly where I start a lot of people. And I think, you mentioned this earlier, but one of the saddest things that I hear on like calls is I just want to be normal. I just want to eat like a normal person. And like when you become so reliant on numbers to tell you if you're hungry or if you're full Uh or if you can eat more or if you're, you know, and it's like you live by these rules and you forget to just be in tune with your own physiology. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, the biggest things, and I think that this is important that you said that is most people have no idea how to properly intuitively eat Mm -hmm. um, and where to start because they don't have any fundamental concepts of nutrition and what that really looks like. Um, And I think that that gets dangerous, especially post-show when you have food rules um, Mm -hmm. and fear foods. And so I think you mentioned fear foods earlier. I'm curious. um, I have a couple of questions so we can go through whichever ones you want. Um, But if you had fear foods, if you still have fear foods, how you overcame those, and then your biggest tips to people um, who might be wanting to get started on their intuitive eating journey and what that should look like. Yeah. So, oh, I had so many fear foods. I mean, I think when it comes to coming out of a stage of tracking macros, obviously there's a million diets out there and there's a million different things. And I think, yes, I had specific foods that were fearful, but even things that I've seen with my clients, it's like, you know, they might not fear. Well, first let me back up and explain what a fear food is. So fear food isn't like, oh my gosh, I'm terrified of a cookie. Like obviously no, but a fear food is like, you know, 
you feel like if you're going to eat a cookie or you're going to eat something, they're the foods that you're going to binge on, or they're the foods that you're going to be out of control around. They're the foods that, you know, you're going to eat until the point where you feel like you're going to pop. Those are technically what I would consider fear foods anyway. Mm -hmm. So, but when it comes to tracking macros, what I see with a lot of my clients, I have clients who have tracked macros, clients who haven't. And I see that it's not so much they fear specific foods, but they fear amounts. So they fear like, amount of carbohydrates or amounts of fats, because a lot of them, you know, are eating 65 grams or a lot lower fats in a day. And I don't even think that's enough, you know? So a lot of them are fearing fats or they're fearing carbs. For me, I always feared fats. And I mean, I feared carbs as well, but I think fats was a big one for me because at some point I was eating like 20 grams of fat a day, which literally I eat that. I probably eat double that for breakfast now. And I don't know. So Yeah. Things that I was fearful of were like, you know, whole eggs or peanut butter or avocados was a big one. So those were more of like the, you know, safe fear foods. And when I say safe fear foods, I think of, you know, fear foods that are still quote unquote healthy or nutrient dense fear foods that, you know, they may be high in carbs and fats, but at least they have nutrient values. So those were a lot of the foods that I was fearful of. And what I would recommend is starting with those ones first, because they're less scary, you know, because they have some nutrient values. So you're not just, you know, going straight to the cookie. So you want to start with like the easier fear foods than the harder ones first. And then, um, probably my biggest fear foods, I would say were like the most scary things were probably trail mix, granola and chocolate. So I, and by most scary, I mean, these would be the fear foods that I feel like I could just never stop eating. They were the fear foods that I would never get sick of, or that took me the longest to habituate. So Mm. with those fear foods, um, I mean, now I keep granola trail mix and chocolate chips in my apartment at all times. And I think that it's really important to do that with the fear foods that are like really big fear foods of yours. So anyway, but yeah, I would say it was for someone going through, there were, I was afraid of every food in specific amounts, but Anyway, I know that didn't totally answer your question on like my fear foods, because I definitely feel like I had more than that, but it was more specific things I was like fearful of. Like I was fearful of, you know, going to restaurants and them cooking in oil or, you know, going to restaurants and ordering what I actually wanted instead of ordering like a piece of chicken in a salad or something. So, but with someone trying to habituate their fear foods, I would say, you know, you can't really start out with fear foods. You really have to, you know, make sure you're eating enough food at first and then kind of learning your hunger and fullness cues. And once you're feeling comfortable with those kinds of things, you know, discovering like the satisfaction factor and then going more into fear foods. But again, starting with those fear foods that are more safe for you. So like for, and this is different for everyone, but for me, those were the healthier or more nutrient dense fear foods, like avocados, eggs, nuts, seeds, um, oils, things of that. Olive oil was a big fear food of mine too. 
But, and then kind of from there, you're slowly starting to incorporate those. And once you feel more quote unquote in control around those foods or those foods are more habituated, you can kind of add in the other foods. So let's say you're fearful of cookies, you know, then the ideal thing, and this doesn't, this approach doesn't work for everyone. So it is very individualized, but typically the ideal thing would be like, you know, having a cookie with a safe meal or a meal that, you know, you're not fearful of and just having it with that meal and doing that every day. And then eventually you want to get to a point where you are able to just keep a box of cookies in your house without feeling like you're going to binge on them because those foods are always going to be there. You have this unconditional permission to have them now. So you don't feel the need to binge on them because the reason somebody feels the need to binge on a food is because one, they're either under eating or two, they feel like this is the last time they're going to get that food. So if you have someone who is fearful of cookies, having cookies all the time is going to make them want the cookies less, especially when they're telling, telling themselves, if I want a cookie, you know, I'm going to be able to have it whenever I want it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, I think one of the biggest detriments to health and fitness advice in general is there's always someone marketing something by demonizing something else, right? There's always Mm -hmm. a villain. And so if you can label that as a food, food group, sugar, like I don't know anyone that should ever fear fruit or vegetable in any amount really. Mm -hmm. Um, but those are real things that people fear. And I think I'm, I'm happy that you defined fear food because for me, and I think that this probably comes from my experience post-show after my first show ever, I went out to eat, we had seafood. And so, um, my coach had me cut salt and water. And if you know, seafood, like it's super salty. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I'd like blew up from head to toe, like edema everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I was actually genuinely afraid of food. I was like, I never had an issue with like binge eating. I've never been like a fixated foodie. I was just kind of like, I was so out of whack with my hunger signals because I was so used to them constantly being there. It was like, I was numb to being hungry. And that was a weird thing for me to work through because I had just been so disciplined of like, I don't need food. It's fine. But like my body's like starving. So it's like, it was such an interesting thing. Um, so for me, like a fear of food is really, like I said, kind of like eating fat, but it wasn't because. I was afraid I would binge on it. It was like, I don't know what it's going to do to me and I don't want to blow up. Yeah. It's interesting that your experience on the other side of an extreme diet on either side Mm -hmm. can really play into what you fear and why you fear it. Right. And yeah, that can definitely be part of the reason that, you know, you fear food as well. Like if I, after a show, I would then binge on cookies because I wasn't able to have cookies the whole prep. And then the day after I would obviously, you know, weigh myself and be up like a million pounds. And I would fear those foods because they made me gain weight, you know? So a lot of times a fear food is also a food that you fear is going to make you gain weight too. Or I remember that, that story you just told, I remember getting done with competing one time and eating so much food that because I was binging on it but I was eating so much food and I remember having this like weird edema like line just across my stomach and 
it was the craziest thing ever. And I went to my coach and I was like, what is this? I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital. I didn't know it was painful, obviously, because I was eating so much ended up going away. But yeah, there's those foods aren't going to interact with your body in that way if you are healthy. So those foods are going to interact with you like that if you, you know, are not fueling your body properly. Like you can eat a lot of food and you can eat food to nourish your body and it not, you know, make your body feel different. And I think that was the one thing that really surprised me when I became more intuitive was that you know, it should be easy for you to go out to dinner or go get pizza with friends and wake up the next day and feel completely normal. You should not feel like a water balloon the next day. Like you should feel like a, like the exact same way you did the day before. And when you're prepping or competing or something, you eat one thing off your diet and you feel, you feel that like you feel completely different. And I think that's the one thing about food now that, or the one thing that helped me with my fears around food. Once I realized that I could eat things and still feel normal, I don't know. It was just like so life-changing for me when it came to my relationship with food. Yeah. And I see that a lot, especially when I work with people post-show, I'm like, okay, well, that's still a sign. Like if they have an untracked meal, right. And they, they, their weight spikes, like way beyond, you know, whatever calorie allotment that they might've had in an increase from that meal. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just like your body is still at a point where it's not safe. Right. It's still holding onto this or it's, it's inflammatory for whatever reason. Like there's certain things that aren't being secreted or like helping you break this stuff down. And so it's a really good indicator to me when I can have clients on multiple um, intuitive eating days and their weight's just super stable right? Regardless of what they might've had calorie wise. Um, so I think that's super important. My, um, biggest question to you around intuitive eating is, well, I have a couple, if someone is coming out of competing and they want to get into intuitive eating, but they're like, I don't want to gain weight. Or let's say that they have competed. Like, let's say that they've gone through and they've gained weight and they've tried the whole, like, trying to do it on their own, but they're not really, they're still restricting in their own ways. And they're maybe not aware of it. Maybe it's subconscious behavior that they still have. Um, and they're like, Addison, I really like, I need to get rid of all of this. I'm, I'm driving myself nuts and I know I'm not healthy, but I don't want to gain any more weight. Mm-hmm. How do you work with that person? And what tips do you give them? What type of guidance do you give them to work through that? Yeah. So, you know, it's really about there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. So I find that I would probably ask, you know, what is it about gaining weight? That's so scary for you. And what if where you're at right now is still, you know, not where your body is happiest and what would happen if we were to get rid of the scale, put weight on the back burner, heal your relationship with food and exercise and body image. And, you know, what would happen if we do all of that and just see how it works out? And what if, you know, it works out better than you could have ever imagined it. And, you know, what if holding on to this, because in that case, they're still holding on to this idea of, you know, their dream physique or their ideal physique or ideal body. And it's really about putting those things, weight and body image or weight and 
the way your body looks on the back burner and working through the other things. And honestly, I hate saying this, but trusting the process and see what happens. And I always say like, you know, like I said before, what if it all works out better than you ever imagined it? And, you know, if it doesn't, if you hate where you're at, if you hate your life in two years by letting go of this, you know, ideal weight that you have or ideal body that you have, you can always go back to dieting. Like it is literally always going to be there. So give yourself and your body a try on this and see what happens and then just go from there. Yeah. I always, especially because a lot of people coming out of competing also have metabolic issues and hormonal issues that we have to fix. And a lot of them too, it's like, well, first you got to put on some weight, especially women that have amenorrhea. Right. Um, and it's understanding that it's really a short-term investment relative to the gravity of what you've done to your body. Right. So if it's a year that you have to commit to fixing this, but you've been chronically dieting for a decade, I'd say that the return on that one-year investment for freedom for the rest of your life, right. Is a way better time investment than fighting it for the next decade because you couldn't commit to this one year. I think when you can put it in perspective that way, it's like, this is going to be maybe a really uncomfortable year, but also it could be an incredible response. Like you said, once you stopped, especially people that are focused on dieting, they typically have days or periods or weekends, right? The weekend warrior where you just kind of like overeat because it's like, oh, diet starts tomorrow. And there's this dichotomy of being on or off plan. Whereas if it's like, you're just operating on a spectrum and like how much you're on that spectrum or off that spectrum will vary because that's part of living your life. But at least you're within a spectrum instead of like blowing shit out of the water, right? And as long as you're living there, you can see much greater progress than if you're trying to rapidly cut calories and then you're binge eating and then going in this yo-yo cycle. So I really like, um, kind of how you said that and dieting will always be there. I think, I think it's, it's, it's difficult because I, I always tell people, and I think my biggest issue in, in the industry in general is that we are reliant on client ignorance, um, as, as a whole, right? Most coaches will teach, will get you to diet, right? By following macros or meal plans, they don't teach you how to eat. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, once you're there and you've gotten, let's say you've gotten to your goal, right? Or even you reverse out of it, but you're not taught how to do intuitive eating days, how to remove a food scale, how to live your life, how to go out to eat, how to go on vacation and sustain the progress. And so I think that's such a big gap. And that's something that I really focus on is like, okay, now that we've mastered the fundamentals and we have a sustainability factor, we can practice all of these other things and teach you how to fish so that you can graduate and go about your business and live the rest of your life in a very comfortable and confident physique, um, which I see most people haven't achieved. I see a lot of people that are like, I've had seven coaches. Like, why have you had seven? Right. It's like, they did, they actually do the job. And I don't know that people actually focus on that because if you can keep a client coming back, like business-wise, you know, thinking about it, not saying it's good, but I'm also aware that this happens, especially contest prep coaches. I've had many. And I think a lot of my own health issues come from being pushed to compete every year because that's what you do, right? When you, when's your next show? Okay. You ready? Oh, you've put on some muscle. And I'm like, I put on more muscle if I would have taken more time off and I probably would have fixed all of my, you know, hormones and shit, but I digress. I just think that if you can remove, 
um, some of the tie, especially identity, which you talked about earlier, um, from what you do, because it's not who you are and you can look out for yourself. Um, you'd realize that dieting should be a very short period of your life. Um, not your entire life, which I see a lot in gen pop and, um, contest prep. So in closing, Addison, um, I do want to ask you if you could give the audience your biggest piece of advice for someone who has struggled, who has, you know, competed, who's done the whole thing, who's in this space, um, other than trust the process, other than that, what would you say are like the three biggest tips to going down the intuitive eating journey and being successful? Yeah, that's a, that's a loaded question. I feel like I have so many. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, at least for me is rethinking this idea of dieting and, you know, realizing that it's not something you should have to do. And in my opinion, it's not something that is going to be beneficial in any way, shape or form. If you're, you know, in a restrictive place of any kind, I I think that this idea of dieting, getting rid of that and not doing it, and then learning how to build something that is sustainable and maintainable for the rest of your life. That is, you know, key. Um, so that would be my number one thing. I would also say a lot, the core piece of why people, at least, you know, the clients that I work with, why they go into dieting is because they feel a certain way, a certain negative way about their body. So I think the other piece of advice is realizing that changing your body is not going to make you feel better about it. And your body image has nothing to do with the way that you look and everything to do with the way you think about the way you look. So I would say that's a huge thing. And it's really difficult to wrap your brain around that side of it. But again, body image is the root of it all. Like you don't diet just for fun. You diet because you don't like your body and you feel like that's going to be the answer. And it's not. Um, and same with competing, like don't go into competing, expecting, you know, to feel like you'll feel better about yourself because you're just going to feel worse. I mean, it's not going to improve the way that you feel about your body, even at, my smallest, like I have the worst body image ever. And now that I'm, you know, normal and healthy and bigger, I don't think about my body. I don't body check 7 million times a day. I don't, you know, lift up my shirt after every meal or whatever it may be. Um, and then I guess the third thing, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, again, there's so many things that I could say, but just, like I said, you know, dieting will always be there, but something to think about is, you know, you can't keep doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. Like there's no reason to continue dieting if you've done 
a million diets and you've gained the weight back after every single one plus more weight and it's not been maintainable for you. So I guess that kind of goes into the first thing I said, but I did see the statistic the other day about how many diets a woman has done, like the average woman has done 61 diets by the age of, I think it was like 80 or something. And it's just like, do you want to spend your entire life dieting and doing things and missing out on the best things in life? Because at the end of the day, like these companies or 